0: You're listening to the Whitfield Report Thursday edition audio podcast. The show will start after a word from our sponsor. Hey folks, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you've been listening to the Whitfield Report for a while and you're starting to think to yourself, Hey, you know what? I could do this podcast thing. But where the hell do I start? Well folks, I've had a lot of friends ask me that in the last few weeks, and I'm here to tell you all that Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. You're damn right that's what I'm doing. And what I like about Anchor is that whether you're a novice or an expert, it's incredibly easy to use. They have uh, great tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast if you're a novice just starting out. Or if you're like me and you're an old pro at this, you can bring your own tools and record your audio and then upload the files yourselves. Whichever way you podcast, it's extremely easy to use Anchor, and I highly recommend them. So get started today by going to anchor.fm forward slash start, and I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the first episode of the Whitfield Report Thursday edition audio podcast for 2019. Yes, folks, the audio format version of the uh, Thursday podcast is finally back, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, it's only the end of the month, but Needless to say, I'm glad we're back to our regular Thursday show format proper. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. So I want to thank you for tuning in to the show, first of all. For the uh, past, present, future hour, wherever you may be, I really appreciate you Tuning in. Now, usually for the Thursday show, I tend to stay away from politics and reflect more on what's going on in my personal life. This is more of a uh, personal audio diary, so to speak. A little bit more of an intimate format since I'm directly in your ears and since this is an audio exclusive. With that being said, however, I do want to uh, focus a little bit more on politics for this week's edition of the Thursday podcast. More specifically, I want to focus this episode on Kamala Harris, uh, Trump. We're gearing up for, the, uh, for Trump's reelection in 2020. It's 2019, 2020 is right around the corner, boy, or not. The Democrats are right now deciding who they want their candidate to be for 2020 to oppose and, in their minds, defeat Trump. And right now, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, it's not looking good for them. It's... It's not looking good for them in terms of who they have for choices. Now, I'm also going to explain in this episode why Trump, I think, is so hard to beat with his personality. This episode, of course, is titled, uh, Why Trump is Trump. And what that means is many politicians have tried to emulate Trump and kind of his mannerisms in the past few years, especially on the left. Uh, They've kind of decided, okay, well, Trump wants to play this uh, tough guy shtick. Well, okay, we can try and emulate that, but it never works out for them. It never works out for them. Because Trump and his persona are unique, and Trump spent years and years and years perfecting that persona of his. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is a persona, and yes, he did have to work at building that persona, and the media also helped him build that persona. Which, in part, is why the media now hates Trump so much, is they created their own monster. I'm going to explain why they hate Trump now, even though he's basically a creation of the media or that persona, and why Trump is unique to Trump's persona and why no one can really do what he's done and how Trump's persona has gone from show business into politics and how it's actually transitioned fairly well, actually, for modern politics. Uh, But first, I want to spend this first half segment of the podcast talking a little bit about the abortion law That got passed in New York, which essentially allows for uh, fourth term abortion, final trimester abortions to be allowed. Okay, and this was devastating news for the pro-life movement and pretty devastating for conservatives. And... For uh, very good reasons. Now, I myself am pro-life. This isn't really an issue I cover very much on this podcast because it is so controversial. But I will do my best to try and just quickly recap my beliefs on abortion. I do believe that life begins at conception. Uh, I believe that the life of an innocent, an innocent child is sacred, not so much in the religious sense, although I, I am a Christian, so that does play some, but more in the sense of my humanity. When you take religion and politics out of it, I really have a tough time Logically, justifying how a fetus can be treated as a mere object and not a person. Since that is eventually what it becomes once a baby is born. Okay, so just by that logic, I have a tough time justifying abortion. Uh... I believe that you know if if we have problems in this country, if most people in this country, they have problems with killing small animals and uh, you know animals that are small because they really don't have they don't have a conscious will of themselves, right? We tend to frown in society upon uh, you know killing. Dogs, you know, or, or or puppies, right? They're innocent. They don't know much better. Well, you know, that is how a lot of the pro-life movement sees babies, too. They see babies as being innocent. They see babies as being deserving of a chance to be born and to actually experience life and believe me, i I believe that the life of a human being over the life of an animal is much more uh, grand and much more important in the in the grand scheme of things. but just I gave that example to kind of equate it to what the left uh, thinks of rights, right. Pro-lifers equate, you know, babies as being sacred, much in the way environmentalists on the left equate animal rights. Even if you're pro-choice, you have to admit that the uh, the idea of a late-term abortion in the final trimester, the third trimester is quite extreme and yet new york has passed this now why do i bring this up clearly people are upset in the pro-life movement about the new york law and as i just said they are justified in their anger it is righteous However, the response to this anger, I think, is misplaced. I've seen a lot of conservatives on social media, whether it be Twitter or Facebook, or what other formats have you. They have said that we need to boycott travel to New York. On mass, that we need to boycott New York uh, until they repel this law. Well, there are a couple of problems with this. First, let's get the practical ones out of the way, because even though they're practical, this is still going to be hard for many pro- pro-lifers to kind of understand, or maybe to swallow. First things first, New York is a massive, massive state, and more specifically, New York, New York City, Manhattan, is a massive metropolis. Even with all those expensive taxes in New York, even with the cost of living being so high, there's no way that a small boycott would, of pro-lifers, even a large boycott, would really do much damage to uh, New York's economy alone. It wouldn't really faze them. Okay, so just the economics of a boycott won't work even if we were to say, you know what, you're right, let's let's all boycott New York. It wouldn't really affect New York that much. Number two, and this kind of goes in line with number one. New York City, whether you like or not, is a major center for business in multiple industries and multiple fields. The New York the New York Stock Exchange is in New York, obviously. Wall Street, another hub of business, which, you know, Wall Street and the New York Stock Exchange more or less go hand in hand. But New York is basically a center of business and industry. Many different companies in America have offices in New York. So to avoid New York, is basically impossible in the sense that there is a lot of business conducted in New York. So again, the economics pretty much make it impossible for New York to be totally boycotted. And believe me, even if you're morally against abortion, like I am, even if you're very pro-life, I guarantee you if, you, if you're someone who works in corporate America, you do not want to, you most likely don't want to, uh, you know, skip an important trade meeting or an important board meeting or what have you uh, in New York because of your um, values. Most people, even on the right, are probably not going to uh, tell their boss off and say, you know, I'm not going to New York for that meeting because uh, New York is where late-term abortion is legal and I'm not for that, so I'm not going to go. Probably not going to go over that well if you have that conversation with your boss, even if your boss is pro-life. So it's just impractical economically. The third and most important reason why this boycott mentality is stupid is because even if the boycott were to happen, even if pro-lifers from every part of the country minus New York were to boycott traveling to New York. Like I said, because of the economics, it wouldn't work. But also, it wouldn't necessarily solve the problem magically. All you would be doing is, you know, telling people not to go to New, York's, New York, but that might not change the law at all the government probably wouldn't care at that point so you know boycotts for this type of uh thing are useless this isn't like target or walmart where you can you know hurt them just by boycotting them for a period of time this isn't some big box store where a boycott will affect sales. And believe me, if if you're boycotting uh, New York, other conservatives, then you're also leaving the conservatives that are in New York and the pro-lifers that are in New York, you're leaving them to fight the battle on their own, which isn't really helping things so what in my opinion is the best thing for us to do regarding this uh, issue rather than boycott New York as a whole I have suggested and I will suggest again that rather than a boycott those who are serious about seeing this uh, new abortion law get repealed instead of boycotting the state go to to New York go into the belly of the beast and Ally yourselves with activists down there. Ally yourself with pro-life activists. Organize a march. If you are if you're a New Yorker, write to your congressman in New York. Write to your elected officials locally and statewide and let them know that you are upset and outraged. If you're coming from out of town, Connect with pro-life uh, New Yorkers who share your some values and work with them. The best thing we can do as a pro-life movement is to help pass new legislation that will repeal this. What helps is to get people on the ground. To get people mobilized in your New York for the pro-life cause, boycotts won't ha- fix that. It's just ignoring the problem as a whole. And plus, when you travel to New to New York, like when you buy a plane tickets, you're not hu- you're not hurting De Blasio. You're not hurting the governor. You're hurting the, uh, the airport workers and the airlines and whatnot. So, you know, so you not traveling to New York, it's not affecting the lawmakers or the politicians anyway. So it's pointless. Instead, the better option is to uh, ally yourself and to actually get involved in New York and get boots on the ground. Now... By the same token, I'm not saying I'm the one to do this. Don't don't misunderstand. I'm not the big uh, organizer here. I I don't know specifically, you know, when, uh, if we should organize a rally or specifically what can be done because I'm not a native New Yorker. But my best advice would be, if you're serious about this, reach out to, to pro-life New Yorkers and find out what they need to fight this. That is your best way to fight against the, uh, this heinous new abortion law in New York. New York. So those are, uh, those are my two cents on that topic. And with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be taking a uh, quick break and then when we come back I will, b- I will discuss uh, Kamala Harris, the 2020 uh, election as a whole and why Trump is uniquely suited to his own style and why no one else can successfully emulate what Trump does. You're listening to the Whitfield Report Thursday edition. I'll be back right after these messages from our sponsors. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. Now that the uh, ad break is over and the bills have been paid, I would like to move on to the main subject of the show, which is the election and uh, this Howard Schultz guy. And then I wanted to get to the title of this episode, which is Why Trump is Uniquely Trump. Okay, so I want to start off with this Howard Schultz guy because the left is absolutely unhinged by the fact that Howard Schultz could run as a third-party independent candidate. They do not want this one bit. And there's a great piece in the Wall Street Journal today, uh, Thursday, January 31st, 2019, about this that I will link in the show notes uh, for you guys to read about this. I read it during the break before I uh, started recording this segment, and I think it's pretty good. So uh, without further ado, let me pull, pull it up and read this for you. Headline, who's afraid of Howard Schultz? Democrats seem to be afraid he might give them a policy debate. The way progressives are denouncing Howard Schultz, you think you would think he is Donald Trump's first cousin. The former Starbucks CEO said Sunday he might run for president as an independent in 2020, and Democrats have since been shrinking, have since been shrinking like teenage girls at a horror movie. They seem to fear a policy debate which is exactly why a Schultz candidacy could be good for the country, including Democrats. Senator Elizabeth Warren, a.k.a. Pocahontas, ladies and gentlemen, wasted no time on Twitter deriding, deriding, quote-unquote billionaires who think they can buy the presidency to keep this system rigged for themselves, while opportunity slips away for everyone else. End quote. This, ladies and gentlemen, is ironic considering that Elizabeth Warren and, and her husband both live in a massive house and they're bureaucrats. But hey, that's none of our business. Mm-mm. The Democrat pundit class, which means nearly every pundit, rushed to say that Mr. Schultz should stick to grande cappuccinos and leave politics to the professionals who lost to Mr. Trump. They're trying to bully Mr. Schultz out of the running, but along the way, they're making the case for why he should. Take economics. Where Ms. Warren, Senator Kamala Harris, and other Democrats want Americans to shut up and jump on their a train to Bernie Sanders utopia on policy Mr. Schultz is closer to a John F. Kennedy or a Bill Clinton Democrat he grew up in the projects in Brooklyn worked in sales at Xerox and built his global coffee company from next to nothing quote I thought that was the American dream the aspiration of America he said this week You're going to criticize me for being successful when my company over the last 30 years, the only company in America that gave comprehensive health insurance, equality in the form of stock option, and free college tuition, end quote. One of Mr. Schultz's supposed sins is saying that, quote, I don't think we want a 70% income tax in America. This brought down the wrath of Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, the 29-year-old forced-term congresswoman whose claim to fame is winning one election, looking cool on Instagram, and proposing ways to spend other people's money. Also, folks, this is the girl who, uh, you know, can't name the houses of uh, Congress properly or... The three branches of government, for that matter. She's a loving meme at this point, ladies and gentlemen. She literally is. Democrats might benefit from reacquiring them, from reacquainting themselves. Excuse me, with the private economy and wealth creation, which is damaged by punitive taxation. Mr. Schultz could point out, point this out in debates. And note how the success of Starbucks allowed him to provide thousands of Americans with jobs, good health care, and the $30 million to help veterans navigate the workforce that Mr. Schultz has written about in these pages. That, of course, being the pages of the Wall Street Journal, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, Mr. Schultz has also dared to question the wisdom and affordability of Medicare for all. This, ladies and gentlemen, is his greatest sin in the eyes of the, of the Democrats, and this article will lay out why. Which would cost well no, north of $30 trillion over 10 years. Democrats don't want to hear this, but voters might. Americans may may balk when they learn that Medicaid Air for All would eliminate all private insurance. With me- which mister Schultz rightly says is quote unquote not American. Democrats should want to have this kind of debate in their primaries, at least they anoint a nominee whose ideas turn out to be too radical to defeat even mister Trump, or to govern successfully if they be in. But Democrats elite but Democratic elites don't seem to want to hear anything that would interfere with socialism by acclamation. Mr. Schultz must be bewildered by his reception, given that he's been an earnest, and lifelong Democrat in good standing. He should ignore the hazing hus- the from elites and run if he thinks he has something to offer. All right, now that is the end of the article, ladies and gentlemen. The point I want to bring up here, and then we'll take one more break and get to Trump. But the big point that I want to bring up here with Howard Schultz of why they're afraid of why the Democrats are afraid of him. They're afraid that he's going to split the vote and give Trump an easy victory. Obviously, that's their fear. But the other big fear, ladies and gentlemen, is that Schultz, is too conservative for them. The left has gone so far radical now. The Democrat Party has essentially become the, the party of the left and radical social justice and uh, virtue signaling. And what Howard Schultz represents is a return to uh, a Democrat Party which cares more about economics which cares more about fiscal responsibility, which is more conservative uh, morally, certainly. In other words, Schultz wants to uh, return the Democrat Party uh, to that of the uh, JFK era. Now, he's running as an independent, folks, or he's planning on running as an independent because he realizes that the left in the Democrat Party, are just that. They're some of leftist, borderline socialists. So, how Schultz freaks them out? They don't know what to do with him. Uh, the left doesn't. And this will be very interesting. I, I hope he actually does run as a third-party candidate. He might he probably won against Trump, but it'll be, it would be great if he could split the, uh, the, the ticket for the Democrats. That would be great. All right, folks, uh, we'll take one more quick, uh, commercial break, and then we'll be, uh, back to get to the title of today's show, why Trump is uniquely Trump. And then we'll, uh, Conclude the show. You're listening to uh, the Whitfield Report Thursday audio podcast. Hey, folks, Sam Whitfield here. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for downloading the audio podcast and listening to the show, wherever you may be. I really appreciate it. And I would like to let you know that you can also now support the show directly via Anchor. If you go to anchor.fm forward slash Whitfield report, you can now support the show using apple pay or android pay on your mobile device depending on which type of phone you have and you can contribute one dollar five dollars or ten dollars as the three levels of contribution i would really appreciate anything that you can give every little bit helps the show and you can find the link to support the show directly in your show notes depending on which app you're using. I would really appreciate the support if you can. If not, please uh, continue to support the show by giving us a rating on iTunes and sharing with your friends. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoyed the show. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back for the final segment of this week's Thursday edition of the Whitfield Report podcast. And in this final segment, I want to uh, return to the main title and topic of this show, which is why Donald Trump is unique to using his persona to win in politics. Now, the reason why I bring this up is we've seen Democrats try to emulate this tough uh, guy or tough gal persona that Trump has. They figure if they can talk tough like Trump, they can win like Trump. We've seen this uh, from Tulsi Gabbard, who... I actually, as far as Democrats go, she's not a left she's not a leftist um, and I think she's one of the more reasonable ones, but she is opposed to Trump, and she uh tried to emulate trump's tough talking uh no nonsense style and uh in hopes of maybe gearing up for Uh, President in 2020. But it was announced earlier this week that she has since, uh, you know, withdrawn and kind of foregone that possibility for the moment. We've uh, seen Hillary Clinton, you know, try and take on uh, Trump's kind of tough talking persona, and we've seen this from Elizabeth Warren, too. Now, of course, in all three instances, it has backfired, and now Kamala Harris is trying to do a what seems to me to be a uh, semi-Barack uh, Obama slash semi-Donald Trump, uh, not really an impression but emulation. Now I'll get to Kamala Harris on the Saturday edition of the show because I do ha- have have audio clips of her uh, that I want to play for you guys on that show. So we'll get into much more detail uh, in the 20, 2020 election and moving forward on uh, Saturday. But just as a quick overview, Trump is unique. He, he, he is a very unique personality as president and as a public figure in general. The, the reason why no one like Hillary or Tulsi Gabbard or anyone can emulate Trump's behavior and make it work to their advantage is because they're politicians and Trump is Trump. Trump's no-nonsense, uh, you know, tough-guy routine where, uh, you know, he, he's a strong-armed businessman, ladies and gentlemen, and that is true. Love him or hate him, you can't deny that his personality and his presence is unique, and it is very, uh, you know, it's, a, it's attention-getting. For better or for worse, he grabs people's attention, and believe me, folks, that is no accident. When he entered the persona in the public eye of Americans in the '70s and '80s, and went on to, uh, you know, build an international brand, that persona of his. He developed that and helped hone it. And it landed him on the map. And that's not an accident. As Scott Adams will say, Scott Adams has talked about this, Trump in his own way has charisma, ladies and gentlemen. It might not be The same type of charisma we think when we think of politicians like Barack Obama uh, or, you know, name your favorite politician. He doesn't sound like Kennedy. He doesn't sound like uh, Reagan. He doesn't sound like Obama. But he does, in a sense, have his own uh, charisma style, which brings people to him. He can bring an audience. He's a showman. And his unique persona can only be used by him. Why? Well, other politicians like Elizabeth Warren and like Tulsi Gabbard and like Hillary, as I mentioned before, they've all tried to be arrogant and kind of, you know, a ballbuster like Donald is. And for them, it doesn't work because they all come off as politicians, because that's what they are. Trump was already a larger-than-life persona when he entered politics. He had spent 35, 40 years in this persona as a tough, no-nonsense businessman and a, a media mogul. The media, one of the reasons I mentioned, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that the reason why they hate Trump and his persona is because they helped build him. They helped build his persona, right? Because when Trump was doing The Apprentice, and when Trump was doing reality TV, and when Trump was being Trump essentially, as we know him, the media ate it up. They encouraged him to be Trump, to be larger than life. You know, the, the larger than life kind of in your face, businessman persona, the, 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 the tough guy persona of Trump, that's unique to him. It works for him because he something created that Gordon Gecko, you know, style of tough guy, strong on politics. He invented it. And he's used it to his advantage in politics to get stuff done. And along the way, piss off the left and create media firestorms, which all of us who support him love. But he's the only one who can do it. Everyone else comes off as an asshole doing it. Or, you know, they come off as stubborn. But Trump can get away with it because of the unargued success that he has and the unargued charisma that he's uh, shown that he has by using that persona. And I have a sneaky suspicion that... Yeah, obviously, he's going to need to refine things a bit more now that he's president in terms of election, but by no means is he going to be any less uh, tough to be. He will bludgeon uh, his opponents in the debate to death with his words if he has to to win. He is still very commanding, right? He made the Republican primaries in 2016, which no one was interested in. Very few people are ever interested in primaries. And yet he was interesting because he had a big enough ego and a big enough persona to fill those boots. So the reason why that persona works is because the Donald simply is the Donald. He can't be copied, he can't be emulated, and he can't be uh, intimidated either. That style is uniquely his. Alright ladies and gentlemen, well I want to thank you for uh, tuning in to the Thursday edition of the podcast. It's great to uh, finally have this, this edition of the show back after. What seems like a long period of time? I did do a Thursday show last week. But I recorded it live uh, Which I really do, but I recorded it because of some Obviously important reasons the whole stolen bellar thing and whatnot But uh, anyway folks Glad to be back uh, to the full regular schedule now so Be sure to tune in to the Whitfield report live Saturday night, uh, eight thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We now have a we now have a uh, an official YouTube URL for the show. So thanks to everyone who subscribed uh, to the YouTube channel. I now have hundred and fifteen followers on YouTube. Thanks to everyone who helped me get to that goal. Uh, so that URL, of course, you can go to YouTube.com forward slash The Whitfield Report, uh, all one word to find the official YouTube channel and live stream times for this podcast when it's live. Uh, Also on Sunday nights, we have the American Watchmen Roundtable also streamed live on that channel, and that will be at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And that, of course, is my weekly panel discussion with my American Watchmen colleagues, uh, Gabe Icaboni and Joshua Johnson. And we'll be adding a fellow panelist as well here soon, but we don't know who that will be yet. All right, folks, uh, as always, thanks for listening to the podcast. Also, don't forget that if you uh, enjoy the show, that you can support the podcast by supporting me on Anchor. Uh, Click the support link in the description, or you can also support me via PayPal by going to uh, paypal.com forward slash Whitfield pod. Thank you for listening to the uh, Thursday edition of the show. I'll see you Saturday night. And until then, ladies and gentlemen, good night, God bless, and God save this great nation.